Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I am your host. My name is Joseph Scrimshaw. With me, as always, is a special guest, an always guest that is still special. That's right. You heard me. It is a small sip of whiskey. And here is what the whiskey sounds like. Mmm. Tastes like always special. Anyway, the point of this podcast is to try to make people feel better about things in Star Wars that bother them as much as we love the big, wide galaxy that is Star Wars. 
every once in a while, there's something that sticks in our craws, and I'm going to try to get your craws unstuck. We've got two fun grievances that have been sent in. They are from different eras of Star Wars, so that'll be fun to switch that up a little bit. With no further ado, let's get right into the grievances so we can get on to the counseling. Let's open up the dark side so we can head toward the light. Our first grievance comes from a name that I assure you I will murder. Here is my attempt at saying it correctly. Ola, I'm pretty sure I got that. Skulvik Elvavold. Ola Skulvik Elvavold at Ola Elvavold. And Ola says, in Attack of the Clones, why does no one in the room react when Masameda makes the very questionable suggestion that Amidala would support creating an army? And shouldn't Jar Jar confer with Padme before proposing such a radical amendment? Help me, and so on. Oh, man. I am delighted, Ola, to try to help you with this one. It's a thing we make a lot of jokes about, that Jar Jar is the one who brings up the amendment that uh, Palpatine should be granted emergency powers and basically starts the Clone Wars. We make jokes about it. He says, uh, Jar Jar says, Delo Felegates instead of fellow delegates, and then tears the democracy down. Idiocy at the same time is actual government societal destruction being started down its evil path. This is such a great, fun question. It's also fun uh, in your actual grievance, Ola. There's no mention of uh, lightsabers. There's no laser swords. There's no blasters. There's no Wookiees. You could read this, and someone might actually think this is a question about the real world with political leader named Masamita and one named um, Amidala, and maybe Jar Jar would tip people's hands. Anyway, it is a nice, meaty, political question from those strange, flawed, but meaty political prequels. So let's get right into this. I want to start by recapping the actual scene that Ola is talking about, because this is a scene where the suggestion is put in place in front of Jar Jar that maybe he should call for giving the uh, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers. So here's a little recap. As the scene begins... Uh, the political leaders, you got your Palpatine, you got your Masamita, Sly Moore is lurking there in the back, I believe. Uh, there are, of course, some high-ranking Jedi Masters, and they're all getting evidence from Obi-Wan Kenobi by hollow transmission that, uh, of course, the Clone Army information is already there, but there's also this new information that the Separatists are much more powerful than they realize, that they have amassed this massive army of droids, all of these armies that Obi-Wan is letting all of these leaders of the Republic know about. There is concern that the Senate won't authorize the use of this newly discovered clone army before the Separatists attack. So there is fear of imminent attack, and there is fear that the uh, actual Senate won't react in time. That is expressed by Bail Organa, which is important, and we will come back to. So Sheev and Masamita Sordo work together to say this manipulative thing in front of Jar Jar. They say that someone should call for uh, the Supreme Chancellor to be given emergency powers, but then they muse, oh, who could be brave enough to do that? And then Masamita says, if only... Senator Amidala were here. And then Palpatine has one of my favorite lines, because it's not really a line, it's a noise, where he says, mm -hmm. 
Like, yes, good idea. And then we cut to a shot of Jar Jar taking it in. Jar Jar really taking that manipulation all the way in. His eye stalks, furtively eye stalking. Sadly, we do not get a shot of Bail Organa reacting because I think it would have just been like an epic eye roll. Perfect gif material from Bail had we got that shot because I'm pretty sure that he knew what BS he was hearing. In fact, I think Bale hears this kind of manipulative BS all the time because he is a politician. I think that's partially why no one reacts to this blatant manipulation because it's the kind of thing that they hear all the time, all day. Everybody's trying to manipulate everybody else in the room, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in aggressively obvious, dumb ways. And uh, I'm sure that Bale has heard these kinds of arguments before, particularly because he's been involved in this whole opposition of the Military Creation Act. You have to remember that this is something that was already rolling, a big deal because they were so scared of the separatists, and then suddenly it all escalates, and Bale has already been in the position to be trying to fight this Military Creation Act. So I'm sure to Bale's ears, it might just sound like more of the same. So maybe that, to get into Ola's uh, specific grievance, maybe that's why Bale didn't bother to do or say anything about it, because it's just more of the same. It's like if you ever get into a fight on Twitter or if you tweet something that a lot of people disagree with and you get 800 tweets, at a certain point you're not going to respond to everyone in Bale's heart, maybe he's just muting, blocking that conversation and moving on. I don't think it would cross his mind that Jar Jar is actually that stupid to fall for such blatant manipulation. Maybe that is the great tragedy of Bail Organa. That is his great failure, that he did not think that blatant manipulation could work, that he had a higher opinion of Jar Jar, who was becoming, I would imagine, under Padme's tutelage, a blossoming state person, and maybe, maybe that great little scene toward the end of Attack of the Clones, when all the clones are marching out of the ships on Coruscant and a bunch of the political leaders are gathered on a balcony and Bail Organa has that mournful little fist pound. Yes, if you've ever thought a fist pound can't be mournful, I challenge you to rewatch that scene. He's got that mournful little pound on the balcony. And maybe in that moment, what he's thinking is, damn it, Jar Jar really was that gullible. Why did I not pull him aside and give him a talking to? Now, all that said, the scene set, let's talk about why the manipulation would actually work on old Jar Jar. Well, first, nothing is actually said directly to Jar Jar. It is just being said in his presence, and a seed is planted. It's like if I just was in a room and somebody said frozen pizza is good, and a little seed would be planted in my mind that I should have one tonight. Nobody turned to me and said, hey, Scrimshaw, you should have a frozen pizza tonight. It's just a reminder that frozen pizzas are a good idea. If only someone was brave enough to eat a frozen pizza tonight, and that little seed would be planted in my mind, and I would think, maybe... Maybe I could be so brave if Senator Amidala was here, she would eat a frozen pizza. Anyway, I really want a frozen pizza, and it's dinner time as I record this. The point is that it is not the most subtle manipulation ever, but it's not like they turned to Jar Jar and said, you know, you should do this. It's what Padme would want you to do. They just plant the seed, which is why we get that shot of Jar Jar thinking, thinking. So Jar Jar 
probably in his mind thinks this was his idea. Now, even if that is the case, and if Jar Jar hears these words floating around the Senate office and he thinks, wow, maybe, maybe creating a military to stop the separatists who are about to attack us and have an army and just took Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi captured, a bomb-bad Jedi like General Kenobi, Master Kenobi at this point, he's not a general yet, soon, very soon, this Master Jedi, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should call to give Supreme Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers. But shouldn't he ask Padme Amidala? Well, here's my take. I don't think he can reach Amidala, because Padme is supposed to be in hiding. And now, even if he maybe could go to the Jedi and say, hey, where is she hiding? I know she went off with Anakin. Where did they go? Can you find them? All of that. The Jedi might have asked him why, and that could have maybe averted tragedy too. Anyway, the point is, I don't think he could reach her. And even if he could, we have that scene earlier in Attack the Clones where she specifically passes off the responsibility of representing Naboo in the Senate to Jar Jar while she's gone. She says she trusts him. She says she's, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that she knows that he's going to do a good job. It's a fun little scene because he starts to respond in sort of a political pontification about how he is going to take this role with great honor and uh, muy, muy humble. And and then uh, Padme cuts him off and says, Jar Jar, I'm sure you have important work to do. And it is very funny. And it has amused me since I first saw the film in 2002, because it is the most polite shut up that is ever said in Star Wars. So now this is cooking. It's cooking in Jar Jar's little Gungan brain. He can't contact Padme or thinks that he shouldn't because she put him in charge. Now, that leads us to, why didn't the Jedi say anything? I think the Jedi have the, uh, the, the flaw of being a little pompous. I don't think they were paying attention. They are caught up in all sorts of different concerns about uh, what, what's going to happen next. The dark side is beginning to cloud their vision as war and strife are coming closer and closer to having their grip on the galaxy. Maybe they didn't reach out with their feelings to sense, is a Gungan going to do something dumb? And in general, I think they try to stay out of direct politics. They will tell the Chancellor, their opinion as the Jedi Council. They will tell him what they are willing and not willing to do as the Jedi Council. And then even after they say we're not going to do that, sometimes they end up doing that. The point is, I don't think Jedi were super in the business of pulling aside random politicians and saying, by any chance, do you happen to be thinking of doing this incredibly stupid thing? Well, don't. I don't think that's how Yoda and Mace Windu were working. So it is just down to Jar Jar to make this decision all by himself. Now, what goes into that process? What is Jar Jar's decision-making process? Yes, this is a sentence that I am saying out loud to share with other human beings. What went into Jar Jar Binks' thought process about this important political decision? God, I love doing this podcast. Anyway, 
Here's what we, the audience, and in theory, Jar Jar knew. Padme was against the creation of an army. If you watched some of the deleted scenes from Attack the Clones, she has a great uh, speech about how gearing up for war will only bring more war. If you, uh, if you offer violence, you'll be answered with violence. All sorts of great things. Uh, but that was then, and this is now, in the timeline of Attack of the Clones. Things have changed. Uh, when Padme was against the Republic raising an army, she did not know the scope of the conflict. She did not realize that there was a full army behind the Separatists. She did not realize that the Republic had a mysterious, pre-made, ready-to-go clone army. She didn't realize lots of stuff. She did not have the full information when she was leading the opposition to the Military Creation Act. Now, the question is, with all this new information, would she have changed her mind? And my answer is no. No, of course not. Probably not. No. But Jar Jar is very, very nervous. And he's had this seed put in his head by Moss and Sheev that maybe Padme Amidala would have changed her mind, that she would be brave enough, bold enough to make this statement in the Senate that emergency powers should be granted to the Supreme Chancellor. Now, Jar Jar does have, in Jar Jar's defense, he does have some reason to think Padme would want to fight. Yes, Padme has given eloquent speeches about how violence only brings more violence, but Jar Jar has seen Padme do some violence. Now, the new information that they have, or confirmation at least, is that the Separatists are being backed by the Trade Federation. You know, that group that attacked Naboo, attacked Jar Jar and Padme's homeworld. Yes, Padme preaches nonviolence, but she is willing to fight when she must. And in fact, she has fought this exact adversary, the Trade Federation. She came to Jar Jar's people and asked them to fight. She said, yes, yes, we are a peaceful planet. Everybody knows that. But I do hide a blaster in my throne room, and I will shoot an MFR with it. And Jar Jar observed all of that. Jar Jar was a part of all of that. Jar Jar is the one who bridged the gap between the Naboo people and the Gungans precisely so they could fight and specifically fight the Trade Federation. So is it really that absurd, I ask you, that when Jar Jar is told the Trade Federation has amassed an army to attack the entire Republic, that he would believe Padme might want to fight back? I mean, they have been trying to kill her. It's why she's in hiding. And again, we have to remember, there's a lot of fear going on. Things are changing fast, and it was bail. Organa, somebody that Jar Jar would trust, somebody that Jar Jar knows Padme would trust. Bale's actual line in this scene is, the Senate won't approve an army before the Separatists attack. So this is a defensive posture. This isn't like Sheev and Maz were saying, like, it's too bad that somebody won't suggest the Supreme Chancellor has emergency powers, so I could just order an assault and kill all the separatist leaders. No, it's in defense of an incoming attack. It's fear. It's that great enemy in all of Star Wars. It's fear. Fear leads to the dark side and dumb political decisions by Jar Jar. 
So Jar Jar is wrestling with all of this information, and a part of the information that he's getting is, to me, so juicy, so interesting. It is the politics of the prequels that is kind of stated blatantly, but it's not really spent, you don't spend a lot of time really looking at the truth of it. What is the story of Attack of the Clones? We're used to seeing different Star Wars eras where side one opposes side two, dark side and the light side, the Empire and the Rebels, the First Order and the Resistance, but what is going on with the Republic and the Separatists? Well, who are the Separatists? They are thousands of planets who are legitimately upset with corruption and lack of forward movement in the Republic. That's fine. You can try to talk that out. That's what Padme Amidala wanted to do. But now, what is this new information that Obi-Wan has just delivered that's turning around in Jar Jar's dumb Gungan brain? They discover all of these different organizations are banding together as part of the Separatist movement and building armies and weapons. Who are these organizations who are banding with these uh, these planets, all of these upset separatist systems? Who are these corporations? You got your Commerce Guild, the Corporate Alliance, the Banking Clan, the Techno Union, the Trade Federation. This is basically like if there was a civil war in America. Half of the states were very, very upset, and suddenly you get information that those states who are upset have also banded with Amazon, Wells Fargo, FedEx, Google, and maybe Arby's. Sure, throw Arby's in there too. And armies. And they agree with the half of the states that think the government needs to fall. That's terrifying. I don't think any of us would use good judgment as we were trying to figure out how to deal with that situation, how to peacefully de-escalate that situation, but how to also protect all of the things that you care about in that terrifying situation. So Jar Jar is terrified, and Jar Jar thinks, maybe it's down to me. Maybe Misa can stop this. Maybe Misa can be saving the galaxy from the bombad terror. Now, from the outside... Jar Jar calling for emergency powers to Supreme Chancellor Palpatine is dumb. It's stupid. It's giving into fear. But from his perspective, from the manipulation, that seed that's been planted about what a brave and bold senator would come up with this plan, you can see how you might think it is a bold change. It is changing status quo. The status quo has been the Republic does not have an army. It's a massive shift to change that. It would be a brave, bold, crazy thing to do, so we must ask ourselves, has Jar Jar done brave, bold, crazy things before? Hell yes, he has. He helped bring the Gungans and the Naboo together, bridging a massive cultural divide. He helped end the Trade Federation blockade and began his own rise to being a political figure representing Naboo. He did not get to where he was in the Senate, floating around in a donut pod with massive power. What a, what a change of circumstance from 10 years earlier when he was kicked out of Oda Gunga for being clumsy, when all of the Gungans thought that the Naboo thought that they were so much better than the Gungan people. Jar Jar crazy brave risks, he bridged that gap, and everything changed for the better. So, 
Jar Jar talks himself into it. Maybe another one of these moments has come where he must do the brave, bold, not clumsy thing, break the status quo, and do something different to try to make change. That seed of deception growing in his dumb Gungan brain becomes a flower of folly, and he calls for the Senate to give emergency powers to Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. Jar Jar is a fool. He means well, but he always steps in, excuse me, shit. Literally, in The Phantom Menace, and here in Attack of the Clones, metaphorically, devastating step into metaphoric shit. So my counseling is, uh, the point of all this is that I think it does make sense from that certain point of view. And that point of view is Jar Jar's, which isn't necessarily good for the Republic. But to me, the logic of what the political situation is, the uh, style of the manipulation, his access to Padme, whether or not anyone would bother to talk to him, would would anyone see that he might even consider doing this to be able to get out in front of it and stop it, all of it makes sense and it tracks in terms of the story that George Lucas wants to tell us. Now, if all of that, talking through what the actual plot is, what uh, Jar Jar's headspace is like, if you're still like, mm, it still doesn't make me feel better, somebody should have tried to stop Jar Jar, here's the other counseling I can give you. If you're concerned that this plot point doesn't make sense, how could anyone be that stupid? Well, that's the plot. That's the counseling. If it seems stupid, that's okay, because it's Jar Jar. And I don't think as a character, he is supposed to have a big brain. He has a big heart, but he's a not a very smart. And so this is definitely one of the rare instances of Star Wars counseling where I can answer a grievance that is, uh, why did this stupid thing happen? And to me, the answer is because the character is very, very dumb. He is clumsy in the head. Big heart, small brain, dangerous politician. That's just my two cents. Anyway, Ola, thank you uh, for the great question. It was really fun to dig into that part of Attack of the Clones, that part of the whole political story of the prequel trilogy, and I look forward to more opportunities to dig into that kind of stuff. But for now, I'm going to take a little sip of whiskey to reward myself for talking that long and that seriously about Jar Jar Binks, and then we will move on to our next grievance. Mmm, muy muy good. Our next grievance comes to us from Ryan Sipowitz. I hope I said your name correctly, and again, I apologize if I did not, but Ryan Sipowitz sent this in on Facebook. Or is it Ryan? It's R-Y-N-E. Ryan Sipowitz, or Ryan Sipowitz, and now I'm just assuming that I have the last name right. I'm a fool. This is all foolish. Anyway, this wonderful Four Center fan says, I've been dreading this for a while. John Williams can't keep going forever, and the reality is starting to hit me now. I only have one amazing Star Wars score left of his to look forward to. As much as I love Kevin Kiner's work on Clone Wars and Rebels, it just doesn't hit me the same as Williams' work. I was also very disappointed with the Rogue One score. I know there were behind-the-scenes issues there, but it felt so generic and it wasn't my Star Wars. I know I should be happy and excited to hear different composers try their hand, but I'm not there yet. I need some Star Wars counseling. 
Thank you very much for sending this one in. I like that uh, this is kind of a different grievance because this is a little less like, hey, how did this track, how does this make sense? Uh, I don't get this. This is like, honestly, emotional. Mm, make me feel better if you can, and I will try. So I think it is very, very understandable uh, to miss John Williams, but I think we can learn from Yoda. Miss them do not, mourn them do not. I've always thought that line was a little overly harsh uh, from Yoda, especially since he pops up in Last Jedi and says that he missed Skywalker, so I think Yoda has learned from himself that it's okay to miss people. Anyway, the point is, I, I think the sentiment that is expressed so often in Star Wars is that it is natural for things to change, that with every end, there is a new beginning. In the very first Star Wars film, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the mentor, passes on. That is the way of the Force. So my just first level of, of counseling is, I think, for life, but certainly for Star Wars is we have to accept change. To grow, to cope with life, we just need to know that things are always in motion. There always has to be change, and as much as we miss John Williams, when he is uh, done with episode 9, when he's done with writing that new uh, Han Solo theme for the Solo a Star Wars Story movie, not the whole score, just the new Han Solo theme, we still have those gifts coming, but then we do need to work on being excited about what new exciting composers are coming down the line? What new musical adventures can we go on? If Obi-Wan Kenobi would have lived in that first Star Wars film, he probably would have decided, you know, I don't like flying, but I'm good at flying, so why don't I take the X-Wing, the extra X-Wing that's just sitting around, and I'll take that into the Death Star, and, and Luke, you stay here at the base and just uh, watch the little blips on the, the radar. How about that? But no. It is natural that the mentor passes and the young generation comes along. And it's interesting to me that this has been such a theme in Star Wars going right back to that uh, original uh, passing off of Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker. There's always been that generational theme, and it is uh, fascinating for Star Wars to have survived and thrived for so long that we are going through that process as fans, that generational handoff. Some of the people who created Star Wars have either made the choice to, to walk away from Star Wars or are simply, like John Williams, getting older and simply not able to do it anymore. And this, this uh, theme of, well, the mentor passes the knowledge and the experience on to the exciting new generation is happening not just in the movies, but behind the scenes of the movies. George Lucas, of course, handed over all of Star Wars to a new generation of creators. Ben Burt, amazing sound designer, has been passing on his uh, torch to Matthew Wood and Ren Kleiss. I like talking about sound designers passing a torch because I imagine all the cool sounds. What does it sound like when a torch literally passes? Uh, Peter Mayhew has passed the Chewbacca torch pretty thoroughly to the new Chewbacca Unisuatamo, I believe. Harrison Ford, while uh, still busy, Harrison Ford is still going to go make his uh, Indiana Jones movie. He is still up, running, and ready to punch people and fly planes and crash land them and everything. Harrison Ford is still a person of action. But the character Han Solo has died. 
Harrison Ford has completed his journey as Han Solo, and of course it's been passed to Alden Ehrenreich. Even the Star Wars vehicles are changing up. The AT-AT, or the AT-AT. It's had its time in the sun, and now it's time for the Gorilla Walker, the AT-M6, to take over where the AT-AT left off. Part of the ongoing power of these movies, to me, is that because they are walking through life with us, they have the opportunity to help us through many things, and one of those things is processing change and processing loss, which I think, uh, which I think is what this grievance is all about. I also think it's very fitting that we got so much more John Williams, because John Williams could have just said, oh, you're doing a sequel trilogy? I'm fine. But John Williams, uh, according to interviews, wanted to do the sequel trilogy because of the new character of Rey. He thought she was amazing and wanted to give her life through music. So I think it's fitting that Episode Nine will be his last film. And in a lot of ways, I think the ultimate message of the sequel trilogy will be about what it's like to pass things on from the perspective of both the older and the younger generation. Now, uh, this is a little side note on the sequel trilogy that uh, as, as they're being produced and as they're being announced and we learned that the big three were coming back, Han, Leia, and Luke were all returning, but we would be introduced to a new generation of heroes. There's a lot of discussion before The Force Awakens came out and even after there was then discussion about The Last Jedi of how much is this the story of the new generation and how much is this the story of the old generation? I think there are a lot of really interesting structural choices in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi because the filmmakers wanted to spend time with both generations. So unlike the example I gave earlier of A New Hope, where Obi-Wan Kenobi pretty quickly passes off that mantle and he pops up to give some little bit of advice, Yoda pops up to give a little bit of advice, uh, but it's all about the young character's journey. Well, the sequel trilogy is about both. We're spending quality time with the older generation as they are trying to train the younger generation. And the younger generation are taking their time trying to get this uh, information, this legacy from all of these older characters. So in a way, I think uh, we'll see what episode nine turns out to be. But when the whole sequel is completed, I think we really might look at it as this is the story of passing the torch. Insert cool sound effect here. Torch passing. It would be cooler than that. But I think it, it, there's something really moving to me about that's always been a theme in Star Wars, but to have the sequel trilogy really take its time to show what it's like, to let us feel what it's like from both sides, to be young and eager and confused, and to be older, to be full of all of the joy of life, but also the sadness and the responsibility of life, and to know that your time is coming to an end, but to see the the glow and the energy of the younger generation coming up behind you and trying to let them know everything that you feel they need to know to chart their own, own course. And the, the point of all this uh, pontification from me is that John Williams was always going to be that legend, that master who had to pass, not the torch, but the baton, the flaming torch baton. He had to pass the music duties of Star Wars off eventually, and I think it's really beautiful, it is really elegant that he did one more trilogy of Star Wars movies, 
but that the trilogy of Star Wars movies that he took on is about passing the torch baton. So all of that said, John Williams' music is, of course, amazing. He is part of what made Star Wars a success. Earlier today, I was thinking about the Star Wars shot for me, for a lot of people. Luke Skywalker staring into the binary sunset and that music plays, and I was just thinking, man, what if somebody did get to Lucas and just demand no? You can make your oldie-timey space fantasy movie with the great special effects, but we're going to draw the line at going back to an orchestral score. We need hip modern music. We need some nice 70s disco. Imagine Luke Skywalker staring into the sunset and basically Saturday Night Fever playing in the background. We are so lucky for John Williams. He is part of what made Star Wars successful at all. So, yes, of course, maybe no one will ever write music as good as John Williams. Maybe no one will ever write Star Wars music that truly matches John Williams. But here's my controversial thought. Maybe they shouldn't. Personally, I really like Kevin Kiner's music for Clone Wars and Rebels, and I really like the score for Rogue One, but to me, Clone Wars, Rebels, TV shows, Rogue One, the first standalone Star Wars movie with a different focus, They shouldn't sound like John Williams. If it doesn't sound like your Star Wars, I think that's okay because it's not the same as the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. It's not the same as the Skywalker saga. The episodic films are telling one grand story that captures everything that Star Wars can be. They're hopeful and they're dramatic and they're funny and they're romantic and they're terrifying and sometimes the romance is terrifying. All of these emotions are being captured by John Williams' massive orchestral score. Now, to me, the TV shows in Rogue One should sound different. Rebels and Clone Wars have some grand moments, and for for my money, uh, Kevin Kiner steps up to the plate when they have those grand moments. But we shouldn't have a grand sweeping score for Lando buying and selling puffer pigs. No offense to puffer pigs or puffer pig lovers out there. I'm fine with the puffer pigs, but my point is I didn't need a sweeping, beautiful... I don't want to be brought to tears by the music behind the puffer pigs. Put it that way. But again, uh, I think Kevin Kiner does step up when it is time to really, really have that power, that connection to other themes that connect us to the different ideas in Star Wars. I think if you listen to the uh, Rebels finale score in isolation... I think most fans would be like, damn, this is really, really good. But the point is, Kevin Kiner wasn't doing what uh, John Williams was doing. He was using some of those themes, some of those motifs, some of those ideas, and it might hit or miss for you, but he's a different assignment. It's a different assignment to do a half-hour animated episodic television show than a sweeping trilogy for the big screen. Now, Rogue One... That one's really interesting to me. Obviously, it is outside of Kevin Kiner doing the score for the Clone Wars movie that was released theatrically, so technically Kevin Kiner is the first non-John Williams person to score a movie. But uh, Rogue One is really, really interesting to me because it is the first standalone live-action Star Wars movie that is not John Williams. So I think Rogue One needed to sound like Star Wars, but it also needed to be different, and it needed to match... Rogue One. Rogue One was trying to feel 
tonally a little different than the normal Star Wars movie. It was trying to be gritty. It was more down to earth or or down to scare for Jetta. Uh, and Giacano's score to me, Michael Giacano's score captures that. The Jetta theme in particular is one of my favorites because it's kind of a hammering. It evokes uh, desperation and dread and loneliness. And it's got a lot of the power of John Williams, but it's only these specific emotions. It's this grittier, more uh, driving, more mournful sound. So, yeah, that's not going to sound like the whole range of emotions that's represented by the score to A New Hope. And there's a lot of it that uh, is very, for lack of a better term, that score is pounding and militaristic because the empire's everywhere. They're bearing down on our heroes. They're, the, it sounds sometimes like the music itself is almost trying to snuff out the hope until, bam, there are moments in the music where that spirit of hope, glowing like a kyber crystal, breaks through. And to me, it does sound like Star Wars, but it does sound different because it is different. It's still in that Star Wars pocket, but it's supporting the different story that's being told. And now I am hoping that we hear the exact same thing from the solo score by John Powell. Now, John Powell has scored most of the Jason Bourne movies and a lot of animated movies. I think if you mash up the score for Chicken Run and Jason Bourne, that says Han Solo. So I think we've got a really good shot at a great score from John Powell. I know the music in the trailer is already controversial, but the music in the solo trailer, to me, if it's any indication of the music that we're going to get from the movie, it's already different. It's uh, rattling. It's a little unsettling. It's a little bit uh, sexy. And it also sounds incomplete like a character yearning to become who they're meant to be. In other words, it sounds like Han Solo. It sounds like young Han Solo, where he's at in this movie. And of course, we're also going to get that John Williams' new Han Solo theme. So, Williams will score first. Anyway, we have that to look forward to in terms of just enjoying John Williams, but then we also have to look forward and test my theory of how much Star Wars music can sound like Star Wars. We're also trying to be different because the movies, and I think many, many fans agree with this, the movies have to feel different. Each one of them has to feel like a different thing. So John Powell's music has to feel like Star Wars, so it has to sound a little like stuff from the Skywalker saga. It has to sound a little bit like Rogue One. It has to sound a little bit like whatever music's playing when Lando's buying and selling puffer pigs. But at the same time, it has to sound like nothing else ever. It has to sound fresh and new with hopefully this fresh new movie. It has to sound like Solo. So I hope that some of these ideas are, are, are helping with this grievance, that they are helping process uh, accepting that John Williams' time with the Star Wars saga is almost complete. I hope that you can uh, get excited about the new music because that is where we're headed and that we need to have excitement for the new as well as a longing and respect for the old. I think that's one of the greatest themes of Star Wars, that balance of the old and the new, and John Williams' music will always be powerful. It was exciting and moving the first time you heard it. If you're 66 or 6 years old, it doesn't matter when you first hear it, it's moving. But then for many of us, 
we've lived with that music, and that music itself is old, and it's tied to moments in our life, and it's going to take a while for the fresh, new music to sound anywhere near as moving and as powerful as some of John Williams' music and style. And I think for now, we just need to be happy. Happy for John Williams. He is out there. He's going to stare into his own twin sons, ready for his next adventure. He will probably just be relaxing. That's his next adventure, relaxing a little bit. And he has earned it, in my opinion. Here is my final bit of Star Wars counseling about uh, the emotional journey to say goodbye to the music of John Williams and hello to the music of many new composers. If you are still struggling with this, simply move to Los Angeles. Get stuck in traffic for very long periods of time with only the Rogue One soundtrack. Now, why am I suggesting this? Because... Friends, it's happened to me. Uh, My wife has been a huge fan of the Rogue One soundtrack. She keeps it in our car. And when I know that I've got a really long drive, I put on that Rogue One soundtrack and I just enjoy listening to it. I hear all the subtleties. I hear the complexities. I am reminded of the emotion of specific scenes, of that dark, oppressive feel, a mournful energy, and then the hope cracking through, and it makes me enjoy and admire the new music in Star Wars even more. So that's it. All you have to do is move to Los Angeles, get stuck in traffic for a long time, and you too will fall in love. Either that, or you can just sit in your car imagining having a conversation with Jar Jar Binks, trying to talk him out of giving Supreme Chancellor more power. Idiot. Anyway, thank you both for those grievances. They're nice, juicy, different ones. If you are listening and you have Star Wars grievances, let us know. They can be just stuff about Star Wars in general, stuff from the movies, big picture stuff about the Star Wars community, merch, who knows, whatever you want, send them in. You can send them on Twitter or Facebook. Please do use the hashtag Star Wars Counseling, counseling spelled with an S. That way I can find them if I happen to miss one in the moment. And speaking of finding things, you can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my other podcast, Obsessed, all on josephscrimshaw.com. You can like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter as at Force Center Pod. And you can buy our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. We just added four, yes, four exciting new pieces of Star Wars merch. You can speculate responsibly. You can get an emotional support porg you can uh, let everybody know that you're into happy beeps and you can let people know that the very t-shirt you are owning is canon you can also support our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash center as i record this we are mere dollars away from breaking our next goal and at that next goal level we will have tony thaxton write new theme music for star wars counseling for this very show you are listening to right now and with that Until next time, as Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one, that's it for Star Wars Counseling. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.